29 through 36. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you... Well, we, uh, we took a break over the, the Christmas season um, and looked at some other passages during Christmas, uh, but re- this morning we find ourselves back, uh, for the first time after several re- weeks, back in this series that we are in where we're looking through the Gospel of Luke at the parables that Jesus told. We're looking at the stories Jesus told us concerning his kingdom. And um, that that passage that we read earlier contains parables, certainly. Um, But I I was reading and studying this week, and uh, one author writes that these verses are, this is a quote, um, a rather confusing collection of sayings, um, and they are um, maybe even a bit of an uh, you know understatement. Um, they're very confusing verses. Uh, but this morning, to help us think through that passage in Luke chapter eleven, I think the best way to approach these verses is for us to think about what it means to see, um, because that is, after all, why Jesus follows all this stuff about Jonah and the Queen of the South with this parable about a lamp and lighting and seeing and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, seeing and being able to see, um, coming out of the darkness into the light, right? These are huge themes in the Bible. And we have, if you look back through your order of worship, you'll see that in the call to worship, in uh, the invocation and in the confession and the assurance of pardon, they're all showing us something about seeing. We see uh, that throughout the Bible. But to start um, this morning, I want you to think with me uh, through this, r- real briefly, this one fascinating story that's in Mark chapter 8 that Mark told in his gospel. And Mark tells this story in Mark chapter 8, you can read it later, uh, about a blind man who was brought to Jesus by his friends. And that blind man was begging Jesus to touch him and heal him. And then we get this part in that story about Jesus spitting and then putting his hands on him. And it's all fascinating, fun stuff we can't get into this morning. But here's the thing. After Jesus touched this blind beggar, Jesus asked the man if he could see anything. And some of you may remember this story. um, But the man said, I see, but men look like, but I see men that look like trees walking. 
And you're, it's seeing, yes. <laughs> but that's not really seeing either at the same time. And then Jesus, this is how the story goes, it's a very short story. And then Jesus touched him a second time. And then the man opened his eyes. And Mark tells us that when he opened his eyes, he saw everything clearly. Now look, that's a weird story in the Bible. Um, Because you think about all the stories in the Gospels about where Jesus heals people, right? And sometimes he does touch them and heal them. But very often, he just speaks a word and heals them. He doesn't need to touch them, right? And sometimes he heals with just a thought. And he certainly didn't didn't need to be in the same geographic area to heal, heal people sometimes. We see those stories as well. But in Mark chapter 8, see, this is why it's weird. It almost looks like, oops, men like trees. You know, Jesus kind of says, let me put my back into it this time. You know, fix that. Um, it was supposed to be a joke. But, um, you know, this, this isn't a, it's not a sermon on that passage. But if, if you looked at the context there in Mark, you see that Jesus is, for this man, he is acting out a kind of spiritual truth. And here's what that truth is. It's that, it's that oftentimes when it comes to Jesus, People are seeing, but not seeing at the same time. You know, I see, but men look like trees walking. That's seeing, yes, but at the same time, it's also not really seeing. And and you really feel for that blind man in Mark chapter 8, you know, when he sees these men walking like trees, because for a moment in his life, he somehow found himself in the place where he's, he's just stuck. He's stuck between touches. From Jesus. Right? He's seeing but not seeing. And now if you circle back with me to Luke chapter 11, the passage that we read, you don't really need me to point this out necessarily, but just a cursory glance at this passage, and you know that whatever Jesus is saying, it's pretty serious. I mean, the language of condemnation, right? And generations rising up in judgment. Jesus was warning these people... And Jesus is also warning us this morning. He's asking us this morning, do you really see? Right? Are you in the light or are you in the darkness? Or maybe are you seeing me, but also not really seeing me? You know, a little play on words for the title this morning, stolen from Shakespeare, right? To see or not to see? That's the question this morning. Um, And I'm asking you at the very beginning, will you hear... Jesus is warning here. Will you seek to answer that question of whether or not you see this morning? And there are three things that I want to look at with you this morning in this passage. Usually I put the outline in your, on your insert, in your bulletin, and this was a confusing passage. I just didn't get around to it uh, this week. Uh, but here are the three points. I'll give them to you in case you want to take notes. First, first point is going to be this. To see through all things is not to see at all. And second, we're going to look at this point. To see Jesus is to see everything. And then third, to see Jesus is to reflect his light. So to see through all things is not to see at all. To see Jesus is to see everything. And last, to see Jesus is to reflect his light. So first, to see through all things is not to see at all. C.S. Lewis, he writes something very insightful about seeing in his book, The Abolition of Man. And he wrote this. But you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you have explained explanation itself away. Now listen to what he says. You cannot 
go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or the garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? It's of no use trying to see through first principles. If you see everything through everything, then everything is transparent. He says this, but a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. Insightful, right? I think the context of Luke chapter 11 will help you understand why I share that quote with you. Earlier in, in this chapter, in verse 15 and 16, Jesus, he had cast out a demon from this mute man. And some said, he's casting out these demons by the power of Satan. And if you were here a couple of months ago, we looked at that and the parable that Jesus told with that. But in, in those same verses, it tells us that there's another group. And this group, it says, were testing him and kept seeking a sign from heaven. And so in our passage, Jesus is dealing with that second group who keeps asking for a sign. They're seeing through everything and therefore not seeing anything. See verse 29, Jesus says, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. See, here's what they're doing. They're saying, give us another sign. Give us more proof. And then we'll believe, you know, if you could just up the ante a little bit, Jesus, give me an irrefutable right without question sign. And then I'll believe in you. Then I'll turn and follow you. Now, if you think about it, that sounds pretty current. Um, You know, okay, I know the stories about Jesus and I know the stories in the Bible. If God would just give me a sign, though, right, if he would just directly intervene and directly speak into my life, then I would believe. Right. If he would just come down. And answer every little question of mine. Wrap up all the arguments in a nice little bow. Then I would believe. Right? But would you? (coughs) That's Jesus' question. Would you? Or would you instead go on seeing through everything and never really see? Jesus, in this passage, he picks up these Old Testament figures, right? Jonah and the queen of the south. And Jesus says these people, the queen of the south, right? And the people that Jonah preached to, they are going to rise up in judgment over these seekers of sign, signs. And we don't have to have the time to get into all the details of their stories, but you can get the point very quickly that Jesus is making, right? He's saying the queen of the south. <coughs> and her story is in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, if you want to read it later. She had heard about the wisdom of Solomon, right? You know, the queen of the south from a faraway land. You don't think she was busy? (laughs) You know, she was running a nation far away, this powerful queen. And she traveled this huge distance and she spent all her wealth on getting to Solomon to hear his wisdom. And can you hear what Jesus is implying here? She gave up everything to hear Solomon's wisdom. But wisdom itself is standing in front of you and you aren't doing anything about it. You keep asking for a sign, Jesus says. Jonah, he went to this Gentile nation, this wicked, pagan, Gentile nation who had zero categories for the God of the Bible. But when they heard Jonah preach God's word, what does our passion say? It says they repented. They turned and they fell in submission to God's word as it was proclaimed to them. And can't you hear what Jesus is really not so subtly implying? They repented at the preaching of God's word, but the word of God in the flesh 
is standing in front of you and you keep asking for more signs. You cannot go on seeing through things forever because to see through all things is not to see at all. You know, I'm going to steal a, a story from another preacher who was talking about an English minister um, who read an article in the London Times. So stolen twice or three times, I don't know. But um, in this article, someone, uh, it was written down, someone had said, you know, I would like to believe in God, but I'm still waiting for a watertight argument. You know, he said, I'm waiting for the perfect watertight no holes in it argument, and then I'll believe. He might as well have said, I'm waiting for a watertight miraculous sign, right? The watertight miraculous proof that vanquishes all my doubts and all my questions. And to that, the English minister said this, the problem is that this man will probably wait forever. Because instead of a watertight argument, God gave us a watertight person. It's a genius quote. You should write that down. Jesus is saying, keep looking through me and you will go on never seeing forever. Jesus is saying, I am the final argument of God, a watertight person. You see, when you get to verse 33 of our passage, Jesus is not changing the subject on us when he starts talking about this lamp. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. And I know that sounds very similar to another parable Jesus told in Matthew. And that parable in Matthew is about his followers bearing testimony to the gospel. But Jesus is not talking about us in verse 33. He is talking about himself. He is saying, I am the lamp on a stand. Nothing I have, I have done has been done in secret or done in a corner. Everything I have done is public. Everything about me is public. It's written on the pages of history. And you see, Christianity, this is important. Christianity is not just another philosophical or ethical system of life, right? It is grounded in history, in historical fact, in this person, Jesus, the things he really said and who he claimed to really be. And the things that he did, right? Jesus is saying, I am the light. God gave you a watertight person. If you go on looking through me for another sign, you will go on never seeing at all. So yet, this is a warning, right? But it's also, I think, an invitation of sorts. Where Jesus is saying, I dare you to get to know me. Right. Examine my life. See the beauty of my character. Look into the excellence and the perfection of who I am. Investigate my claims throughout. God didn't give you a watertight argument or a watertight miracle for that matter. He gave you a watertight person who changes everything. Well, let's turn to the second point now. To see through all things is not to see at all. But second, to see Jesus is to see everything. You know, I've often talked about how Jesus is a game changer, right? And that is, if he is who he said he was, and he did the things he said he did, then that changes everything, right? And here's what I want to say to you in this point. When you really see Jesus, it changes the way you see everything. When you see Jesus, your eyes get open to seeing everything differently. To, seeing, to see Jesus is to see everything. And here's what Jesus says in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, 
your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Now, that sounds more complicated than what it actually is. It's a very simple point. He's saying, if your eyes are healthy, and if they're functioning properly, when the light comes in your eyes, you can see everything in the room. And you can move around with ease, and, and you can see everything clearly, right? But if your eye, he's saying if your eyes are diseased and they're not functioning properly, he's saying the whole world around you may be light, but you will be walking around in a disorienting, dangerous darkness. Your whole body will be in darkness if your eyes are diseased. You know, I can distinctly remember the first time I saw a magic eye poster. Um, the... These things may not even be in existence anymore. I don't know. But they were a hot item when I was in junior high. Uh, I know that was a while ago. Um, they were these posters, right? And they were these really, really colorful posters. And they just kind of had all these random shapes all over them. And, uh, and they really looked like nothing. And I'm telling you, it blew my mind. <laughs> I can still remember where I was, right? You know, so... Some people know where they were when JFK was assassinated. I'm too young for that. Um, so I remember where I was the first time I saw a Magic Eye poster. Um, I, I was hanging out in the mall with a friend, and they had this display of all these posters. And you walk by them, and they look like nothing. And then after, you know, you know, junior high kids were looking for girls, right? And so we had walked around the mall for uh, a couple of times, and finally we passed again. And he said, you need to look at these these posters. And so, so I started looking at him and I, and he kept saying, do you see it? Do you see it? And I was like, there's nothing to see. It's just colors and random shapes. Right. And he said, no, no, no. You got to stare at the middle of this picture. Just stare at it until you see it. And so I stared until I thought I was going cross-eyed. Right. And then it happened. Boom. You know, all of a sudden this 3d image that was embedded in all this, these colors and shapes and all that, it just popped out to me. This, this castle on a hill just jumped out at me. Right. I spent the rest of the day in that little shop looking at dolphins and tigers and I don't know what, whatever else was there. Um, I'm very easily entertained and amused. Um, but the point is all of a sudden I saw everything differently. Jesus is saying, when you really see me, your eyes will be opened to seeing everything differently. I mean, you just think about it. Who was Jesus? I mean, he's a man, right? He, but he's a perfect man. I mean, the beauty of his life defines beauty itself, right? But he's not just a man. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And you know, in a world where most everything you do is, tr is to try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and gain approval and prove your worth and climb the ladder. Jesus never asked you to climb the ladder. He, God in the flesh, came down the ladder for you. Right? And though you and I didn't want anything to do with him, right? He came and he lived the life we could not live and died the death we should have died. In your brokenness and hardness, he so loved you. And so wanted you that nothing could stop his unbreakable, never-ending and perfect love for you. Even when it meant his own death on a cross. And when you see Jesus like this, you begin to see everything clearly. Because listen to me, when you see Jesus like this, you can finally see yourself for what you really are. 
you can stop shifting the blame and being defensive about every little thing and running others, others down to make yourself look good, right? Because that, that's what we do. These are the ways we avoid looking at ourselves. I mean, that's kind of our default position, right? We're spin masters running our own personal PR campaigns, right? Trying to prove our value and our worth. But, but listen, see Jesus and you can finally see yourself honestly without ever becoming arrogant. Because look what the God of the universe had to do for you. And you can finally see yourself honestly without being crushed and without being insecure. Because look how loved you are. That God himself came down and died for you. And listen, you can start seeing others for who they are. right? You can, you can start seeing others as others. How about that, right? Because look, in the dark, you never see others for who they are. You see them as props, props to move you around and props to hold up your fragile identity, really objects to be used by you. But when you see Jesus, you will finally be able to see people as people. And you set free from your insecure neediness, you can finally move towards people in love. And you will begin to see their real needs that are hiding beneath their needs. Right? And listen, when you see Jesus, you can start seeing the world realistically. Right? Neither overly optimistic about it, nor overly pessimistic about the world. Yet this world will never be enough to fulfill your aching heart. The parents you wish you had, the success you wish was yours, the children that didn't turn out quite right, whatever it is, the world is broken. And you can see that. But you'll be able to see the, the brokenness of the world. But this is key. You'll be able to see it and you'll be able to face it without despair. Because there is a king who came and he was unmade on a cross in order to renew and remake the world. And that frees you to move into the world realistically and unafraid to work for its redemption. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? See me and you get everything else thrown into Right. But fail to see me. And though you are in the presence of light itself, the whole world will be darkness to you and you'll be blind to who you really are. You'll be blind to your self-centeredness. You'll be blind to your prejudices. You'll be blind to what your real needs are. You know, you'll be blind to others really cut off from being able to love others and not just use them. And you'll be blind to life, either too scared and too frightened at the brokenness of the world that you retreat from it. And you don't even take good risks in this life. Or so chock full of arrogance and pride that you will rush headfirst into a broken and dangerous world. It's when you see Jesus that you'll be able to see everything. The band U2 has this great song titled simply Grace, right? And the lead singer Bono, he sings this. Grace, it's a name for a girl. But it's also a thought to change the world. He says, what once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace. It's a name for a girl. But it's also a thought that changed the world. It changes everything. It changes how you see everything. When you come to Jesus through his grace, it is a game changer and it changes everything. It turns your world upside down, right? Where you used to look for love that could hide you from pain, right? You realize that real love actually embraces pain for another. Where you used to believe that suffering can never be good in your life. 
You, re- you read the Bible and you see Jesus and you begin to understand that redemption always comes through suffering, never apart from it. I mean, you know, where you have fought so hard in your life to measure up, in this kingdom you find that your ability is not an asset, but a liability. Because this is a kingdom where the needy and the poor and the mourners, they inherit the earth. And a kingdom where grace, it always makes beauty out of ugly things. Are you seeing, but not seeing, Jesus is asking you. Or or maybe where, where you are, are you stuck between touches? I mean, if you are like that blind beggar we talked about in the beginning, you need to beg Jesus to touch you again, to open your eyes to see him. I I think that's the application here, because only when you see him will you be able to see everything. Okay, finally, the third point. To see Jesus is to reflect his light. It's probably not the best title for the point, but I want you to think about it like this. You know, mirrors, mirrors are made to reflect light, right? Mirrors don't work in the dark, right? A mirror cannot generate light. It can only reflect light, right? And a mirror is only filled with light when it faces something else that gives light. Verse 36, Jesus says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. I know I'm mixing my metaphors here. Lamps, rays, light, and now I'm throwing mirrors at you. Um, but I think this is exactly what Jesus is getting at here, Right? Our light, it's not self-generated. It's derived. It's reflected light, right? And you cannot reflect light unless you are facing something that gives light. You and I, we are mirrors made to face Jesus and reflect his light. You know, this is really the story of the Bible in a sense. I mean, because you think about it, when God made man and woman in the garden, right? And we're told about it in Genesis. Do you remember what we were told? We're told that we were made in God's image. God made us to be a reflection. And you keep reading, if you read that story in Genesis, you know, you get to the third chapter and we see where it all went wrong, don't we, right? Man and woman, they turned away from facing God, right? From finding their being, from finding their identity, from finding their value, from finding their purpose by facing God. And they said, we'll do it our way, thank you very much. And you know how that story goes. When they turned away, the whole world started to come undone. The whole world started to break up and tear apart and unravel. Pain, sweat, shame, thorns, thistles, and death. So doesn't it make sense that the only way to be healed, for life to be put back together again, is that you and I would have to turn and face God again. So stay with me here just for a second. Back in verse 29, Jesus said this. He said, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And then in verse 30, Jesus talks about how Jonah himself became a sign. Jesus says the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah, you know, he did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites. And so he tried to run away. 
And so God sent this fish, huge fish, to swallow him. Interesting story. Again, we can't get into it all here. But after three days of being in the belly of that fish, that fish spit him up on dry land, dry land alive in Nineveh. Right? And God was saying through Jonah, he was saying to these people of Nineveh, I am sending someone back from the dead to preach to you repentance. And Jesus is saying, that's the only sign you're going to get the sign of Jonah. And Jesus himself crucified. And three days later, he rose again from the dead and declared the gospel. What he accomplished in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And he came preaching repentance. And do you know what repentance means? It, it does not mean turning away from doing bad things to doing good things. Repentance means to turn and face Jesus. That's what it means in the Bible. It means to turn from all the ways you have sought to find your being and your identity and your value and your purpose by facing something other than the one who made you and redeemed you. To turn from your career and to turn from your materialism, to turn from your rebellion, to turn from your children, to turn from your family, to turn from your money, to turn from your sin, to turn from your morality even and your righteousness. To turn and look at the sign, the one sign Jesus promised to give. Look upon who Jesus is and what he did for you. When we turned away, the whole world started to come undone and break and tear apart. What does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus tell you? It tells you that God himself came and he was undone and he unraveled on the cross and he was broken and he was torn apart for you. And the resurrection is his receipt to you. It is the proof that your sins have been paid in full. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he is going to put everything back together again. Listen, turn and face Jesus. Find your being and your identity and your worth and your purpose in him. And I'm promising you, you will begin to change. You will begin to become more and more of what you were meant to be because you are mirrors. And you are made to face Jesus. And you can only be what you are meant to be when you are facing him. Jesus is daring you in this passage. He is the lamp. He is this watertight person that God has given us. Look to him and you will begin to see everything differently. Face him and he promises that he will change you from the inside out. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, you sent Jonah to preach the word, and the people repented. Father, we have your word, and we pray that you would work repentance into our lives, that we would turn and face Jesus as we were meant to. Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus. And in seeing Jesus, that we might see everything the way it really is. And Father, that in facing Jesus, you would do what you promised to do. And that you would be at work changing us 
from the inside out and making us more and more into the people you made us to be. Father, we thank you for the good news this morning that as Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Solomon is here. Wisdom itself, God in the flesh, came to redeem us from our sins. Father, I pray that you would break our hearts with this good news. Shatter the hardness of our hearts and change us to be more like the one who came and redeemed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.